трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. We're focusing firmly on the pitch this week as we approach the end of the season. So we'll be going through uh, Spartak's championship win, of course, and we'll be looking at the European qualification spots and, of course, the battle for survival at the top. Joining me, as per usual, we've got Russian Football News website editor Toka Thilaid. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. And, of course, we've got our regular writer and contributor, Andrew Flint. Hey Thomas, good to be back. Good stuff. And of course, Andrew, we'll get onto this later, but just a just a bit quick teaser for the listeners that you, of course, were at the Russian Cup final quite recently, so we'll definitely get into that. But let's focus at the top of the table. Again, Spartak winning with three games to go. I've mentioned to you guys just before we started that they've not dropped they've not dropped off the top of the league since round four and been inside the top two all season. So Toka just an incredible achievement really it's it's been amazing and when you look at the season that had it it's been such a roller coaster right i mean after one game after they won the first game four nil they sacked their head coach because they were eliminated by the europa league and then they had the whole saga with who will take over after alenicev will be better as we all expected they had open negotiations with him everybody knew that they wanted him he, he left to rostov it was so obvious that he, he was going to join the club at, at some stage. And meanwhile, Massimo Carrera kept winning as the as as the temporary head coach, and eventually he just became the head coach. And now he's won the now he's won the championship in his first season as a head coach. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing. And this whole season they have lost. They had that awful defeat in Samara final against Krylysavietsov in in December. Then they had the they had the cup defeat. To um, to an FNL side also last last year, but each time they have managed to bounce back the next week and immediately get back on track, and that's something usually you're not see from Sparta. Usually, once they lose one game, you would see the team completely turn into a mess. But he has really imposed a winning spirit in this team. He has really gotten the best out of his players, and it has been such a pleasure to follow this season. Yeah, I mean Andrew, they they haven't. Well, they've lost one match since the winter break, sorry, and they've won six of their last seven matches. And Toka mentions Carrera there. I mean, what an achievement for this guy. A, a, quite an inexperienced coach in all reality. To come into a team like Spartak, who have struggled so much in recent years, and to win the championship like that is amazing. Yeah, well, you're right. It is It is a pretty impressive achievement for somebody who's not had a head coaching role before. I mean, his education as a coach is pretty solid um, under Antonio Conte. And he clearly has the conviction of his own ideas. He, he knows he's not afraid to drop players. Um, and I, I just, I'm really impressed with how he's stuck to his guns. You mentioned bouncing back from those pretty well, potentially unstabilizing, destabilizing results. The one against um, Krilia in particular stands out in my mind. Um, I mean, to be thrashed 4-0 like that and, and still come back to win the next game, is it shows a lot of character. And I think, for me, the most impressive thing, and it's a simple thing, but I've mentioned it before, that Carrera seems to have understood how to relate to his players, on at least on an emotional level. And... The, just the sheer joy with which he ran down the touchline um, after after Spartak's second goal in the Moscow derby and just 
leaps on top of his players as if he was a fan, pretty much. That, for me, said it all. And I, you could see the players, they play for him. And as much as his tactical acumen, I think that has been a major, major part of it. Because how many Spartak managers over recent years have we seen be relatively distant, unconnected? They've not really got what it is to be a Spartak manager. And I think that's where Carrera's success stems from, for me. Yeah, I mean, Toka, I'm, I'm a bit wary of this question because I'm a bit scared of the response. But how much credit, I mean, we all talk about Carrera and it's great and everything, but how much credit should go to the former coach who we spoke of briefly, Dmitry Alenichev there, for laying the foundations? Now, that's a good question, Tom. And I, it's something we've discussed a lot among the writers at Russia Football News. I know uh, some of us uh, are really pro Alenichev. Personally, I think, Last season, he he laid a nice foundation. I mean, it's you can still see the traces of what he did with the team. For example, they they really know how to keep possession. They know how to pass the ball around. They they are a strong offensive side. But at the at the end of the day, I, I think this is all all Carrera. I mean, when we compare what Sparta did last season under Alenichev, there were some some good signs. But at the end at the end of the day, it was it was. Barely an acceptable season, and this season has has been incredible. I think all the all the credit goes to to Carrera. Although, of course, you have to you have to understand that he he did build on something that was already a, a foundation already laid by Alenichev. But Carrera is definitely the man to to give this victory to because, as you said, look in the past, Spartak have always had good teams. It's not that they've had a bad squad or anything, but in sixteen years. They haven't won the haven't won the championship. Look at the, the managers who've been here. It's it's uh, Unai Emery, it's Stanislav Chetyshov, it's Mikhail Laudovic. Guys who've won leagues abroad, it's guys who've won a lot of things, and it's good coaches. And then Carrera does what he what he what he did this season. I, I think he he deserves all the praise in the world. Yeah, I mean Andrew Toka mentions all those sort. Of, Emery is a big one that stands out for me. Of course, Europa League winner several times. Um, you mentioned there that Carrera sort of got the connection with the fans. But what did he change on the pitch that allowed them to win this title after such a, a barren spell? Well, for me, one major part has been the midfield and bringing in uh, Fernando. I think, for me, Fernando's been one of the most underrated players of the season. I just think he's he's such a physical and commanding presence, but he can pass the ball simply as well. He doesn't, he doesn't mess around. And sort of alongside that, allowing Denis Glushikov to get forward and, and score more goals and be more influential further up the pitch. I think that's been a major key um, on, you know, in the success of Spartak this season. Um, and, you know, I mentioned not being afraid to drop players. I think, I think that has also been a key in the running where, I mean, I, I know, again, we've discussed amongst our writers about the, the, the merits of certain players. I, I don't mean to be negative, but I'm not a fan of Ilya Kutupov. I just don't think he has the mentality, the strength, the commanding presence to to be a championship-winning defender. You don't forget he's 23 already. Um, he's, he's not. He doesn't have. He's still relatively young, in all fairness, Andrew. Well, you see, that's the thing. I don't think he is really. I mean, 23. He's had plenty of time playing at sea, at least in the second tier of the or the third tier, whenever it was when he started. Um, I just I don't I don't think he's I don't think he's good enough. And the fact that he's dropped him for Georgi Jikia, who is exactly the same age, um, but has been more assured in defence, I think that's been 
you know, a positive sign. I'm not saying Kutubov won't develop into a good defender, but Carrera has recognised that, and he, he mentioned this in his comments before, that he just felt Jiki was better suited to the, to the games they were playing. And he's made that change. And that, I think, shows a fair amount of boldness when you've come in as a new manager and he'd only, you know, he don't forget, he didn't know the players before this season. So I think it was, I think that shows a lot of the reasons why they've been so successful. Holding on to Quincy Promise is always going to be a, a key part of that. But for me, the most important part was was midfield with Fernando and Glushikov, bringing in the former and getting the best out of the latter. Um, and then having the convictions to change players when he needed to. That's what I think has been most impressive. Yeah, I mean, Toka, um, Andrew obviously mentions Quincy there, and we'll probably get into a bit more depth on him. But I remember a few weeks ago, we made the point in a podcast that Spartak, compared to someone like Zenit, for example, although obviously there's a big core of Russian players because of the foreign rule, but in terms of the foreign players, they've bought very well over the last couple of years. And of course, that has now, because they were all quite young, I mean, you look at Promise, he's still fairly young. It's really come to fruit and it's time time perfectly, essentially. Oh, yeah, certainly. They have, uh, they have some really quality, some quality foreigners. When that said, of course, they... they that's what it's it's not that it's so much better than Senna's assist guys. I don't I don't even think it's it's better if you compare it player to player, but Carrera has really managed to get the the full potential out of his squad, something that no manager before him uh, in the past fifteen, sixteen years as Spartak has managed. And that's why that's so successful. I just the other day I, I looked through the um, the standings of the last of the last seventeen seasons and Carrera can actually beat Beat some records with this Spartak team. We still have three games left. They already have um, they already have sixty three points, and in eight in eight seasons of the last sixteen, that would have been enough to win the championship. I think that says says a lot. And except for one season where I believe Senate, or one or two seasons where a team has has crossed seventy one points, then um, he can beat he could beat the all time record. So. The amount of points Spartak has collected this season is also incredible. It's not only the the way they've played, but it's also the amount of points they have. It it is really it's really impressive. Um, but of course, part of the story is also how Siska and Senet haven't really been that good this season. How they have dropped a lot of unnecessary points. How both uh, Slutsky struggled at Siska in the, in, the, in the autumn. How Luchesko has struggled at Senet all season. So, of course, it's also you have to remember that. He also hit a lucky season with with the Spartak team because none of the other teams are really performing that well. I mean, even Krasnodar have struggled this season. Yeah, I mean, you've sort of moved on to the next topic there when I really quickly wanted to ask you the same question I asked to Andrew. Is that what do you think Carrera's changed on the pitch? You, of course, can go for the same answer as Andrew. I think the big the big thing he has, um, he has changed... I, I know that maybe this sounds a bit silly, but I, I think it all comes down to the winning mentality. I really don't. Of course, you, he has these small tactical changes. You can see they're better de- defensively. They're also a bit better off- offensively. They don't waste as much time on the ball. They're more direct. Um, but I just I, I can't look past the way the, the players act. I can't look past the way Calera uh, act too, because it's so obvious that these players they really want to win. In the in the past, Patrick were a team of of individuals, a team of pay- players who probably earned a bit too much, especially compared to what they did on the pitch. But this season, all the players have really just uh, played their heart out. You could see after they 
the Wonder League, Carrera even thanked the players on the bench, the players who haven't played that much, because they all of them helped push the play, uh, the players playing to get better every single week. And I, I really think that's that's really something special because this this victory in my mind doesn't come down to tactics because it, it is really about the winning mentality at, at this Spartak team. I also think something I've been really impressed by Carrera about uh, this season is the way he has behaved. When you see foreign coaches coming to Russia, for example, Luchesko, Vilas Boras, Bilic uh, in the past, you often see them complain a lot. You see them complain about the pitches, about the referees, about Russia, about everything. Uh, about the, the struggles limit. of the team. Yeah, exactly. All these things. And Carrera has just kept his eye on the ball the entire season. He hasn't, at least not compared to these other guys, he hasn't said a word about all these things. He has just focused on his own team, focused on winning the next match. And I think that's... I, I, I th- really think you have, you have to mention that because it just shows what kind of person he is. That he, he never kept his eye on the prize. Yeah, I mean, just before we sort of round off the Spartak topic, of course, we have to look ahead to next season, Andrew. I mean, let's assume they don't keep Promes, to be honest. that's pro- Promes will probably leave. Do you think they could struggle to keep, keep hold of Carrera as well? And what do you think could happen next season with them? Because you've got to bear in mind Champions League as well, fixture congestion. Well, I mean... I don't know. I don't know if this is me just wanting him to stay, but I have a sneaking suspicion that Promise might be just a tiny bit tempted to stay now because they've got Champions League. I don't know. I mean, he's you. You could look at it one of two ways. You could say, well, now they've won the title, they've got obviously a good manager in charge. They're in the Champions League, and that is a more attractive option. Or you could look at it the other way and say, well, this is the perfect time to for him to leave if he has ambitions of moving to a top European team because he's at his most marketable, if you like. Um, I'm actually not so... I'm not 100% sure what I think will happen, but if we do assume that he leaves then, um, I mean, I still think Spartak's squad... And I said this uh, a long time ago. I still think Spartak would have won the title if Quincy had left in the winter transfer window because I do believe their squad is the strongest by by reasonable distance. Um, and... You know, if he left, I still think they would be. I think they would be challenging for the title. I think Carrera will stay. Um, I'm not sure exactly where he would where he would go after one season here. Um, and you know, he's got a good thing going. He's he's got a brilliant stadium. He's got a, a quality squad. He's got the trust of the fans. He's got the trust of the players. And and I I think being a Champions League side next season, it'll be a good step up. Um, so. Next season, I don't think we'll see a great deal of transfer movement for Sparta, mostly because I don't think they'll need it, um, other than to replace Quincy, possibly, if he does leave. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's... I genuinely do think, and I agree with Toka, that Carrera's mentality changes her other key to the club, and that's what players will buy into. So... Yeah, I, I think it's a bright time for Spartak next season. I think a title challenge, and it, depending on the draw they get in the group stages, they could potentially get a few encouraging results in the Champions League too. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive about their season next season now. Andrew, I, I admire your positivity, but Toka, all I'm thinking in the back of my mind is, this is Spartak, something will go wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean... That would be the the normal thing to think to to think about this team, but I think that's also why this championship is so important. Of course, first of all, it's the championship and and all that represents. 
But I think this can be the start of a new era because now you can't say this is Spartak anymore. Now you can't just use those normal phrases because now they actually have the championship again. They're the reigning Russian champions for, for the next year. They have broken that dry spell of, of missed opportunities. So I think maybe they won't win the league next season. Who knows? Siska and Spartak will be stronger. Krasnodar will be perhaps be stronger too. But the fact alone that they have broken this uh, title draw, I think that's it's so important. And they can really start building something new. And, and I think the next few seasons could be very interesting for them, especially if Carrera stays for the long run, and which I, I certainly expect him to stay for the next couple of seasons. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very positive because I don't think we can use any of the old cliches anymore. Um, so it, I think things are looking very, very bright right now. This is not before we move on very quickly. This is nothing personal against Spartak or anything, but I think you say they could break the record uh, points, points total and everything, but they've won the championship, so I think the sensible money next week is on Amkar win or draw against Spartak, to be honest, because that, that's generally what happens. There's usually a bit of a, a parade and everything. But anyway, Toka, you mentioned earlier about um, Siska and Zenit having a poor season. I mean, Andrew, how much of an impact has that had on this t- title? But also, Siska currently ahead by one point in that second Champions League spot. Can Zenit catch them with the whole mess that seems to be going on there at the moment? Rumours circulating around Luchescu the whole time. Well, yeah, this. It's it's not to, it's not to take away from Spartak's title win. I still think had Cisco and Zenit had stronger squads and and a better well better mentality around the place, then I still think Spartak probably would have won the title. But the distance by which they won it certainly comes down to some shortcomings of the two closest rivals. Um, I mean, Zenit are just uh, a complete mess this season, really. You never know what you're going to get with them. They are always, always potentially devastating going forwards. But I've got to be honest, Luchescu has really shocked me with how poorly he's adapted to to life in charge in, in Russia. And I, I really don't expect him to be here beyond the season. Some people saying he has already agreed to leave. Um, I don't know what the official latest is, but I, I really don't think it matters because I don't think he'll be there beyond this season. Um, sorry, Cisco, sorry, Andrew, think... sorry, very quickly. I just want to say, everyone, yeah. I want to make this point. <laughs> Everybody goes on about how how badly Chesky's been. He's won three of the last four. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, I, he's I know, I know, it's not the title, but I mean, you know. it's, it's about the weakest possible. Yeah. defense. <laughs> I know, I know. Ural, but, Orenberg, no, I mean, and Tom Tomsk—they're tough opponents, mate. Well, well, they are. You're absolutely right. Um, but no, I mean, you see, that, no, but semi seriously though, it does kind of demonstrate demonstrate my point because they those teams. Okay, you can laugh at them, but they're they're fighting for their lives, and you know, they, you've, you've got to beat them. They are, you know, going all the way out to Tomsk. Um, the pitch is not the best in the world, and to be fair to Tomsk, looking at the results, at, you know, since the winter break, it doesn't look great. And of course, they do deserve to go down, but they have really surprised me in a positive way. The players on the pitch, um, by how much fight they've shown, and they've they've not been playing bad football. And you know, to to beat them away, it's still it's a result you've got to you've got to earn. But then you know they'll they'll go and have uh, a complete you know, a complete mess up and and fail to beat Angie at home, for example. I, I cannot, I can't get my head around it. And the thing about me for for Luchescu is that he just seems to be, he seems to be just out of control, out of his, I mean, I don't want to say out of his depth because the amount of experience the guy's got, but it almost feels that way. Um, 
I mean, the way he's blaming everything around him and, and you know, the referees all being Moscow-based, it's a very, it sounds a bit of an old old excuse, really. Um, and the squad that Zanit have got is still a very good squad, but I don't think it's as good as, as Spartak's on paper at the moment, anyway. Um, so, I mean, Zanit have the potential to be right up there again, challenging for the title. Of course they will be. Um, but, I mean, they're Zanit, they're a huge club, and they've got some still brilliant players, but they do need to change the squad a fair bit and get a good manager in. Um, Tisca need to boost their squad generally. I mean, we saw in the Moscow derby, I thought for me it was a classic example of where the two clubs stand because Alan Tagoyev being put into the starting lineup, rushed into the starting lineup. He clearly wasn't ready, he wasn't fit enough, but it showed the dependence on him as the creative player and they just they couldn't control the game properly. Whereas Spartak could have rested two or three of their top players and still been in control, you'd have you felt. So um so Tisca definitely need to boost their squad. So need need to revamp their squad and get a new manager in, in my opinion. And if they do that, then it could be a very interesting three horse race next season. So um a lot needs to happen. It's quite hard to say right now what I think will happen next season. But if those elements happen, like I mentioned, then you know, we could be in for a, a very tight title race next season. Sorry, I did make you go off on a bit of a tangent there, but I just wanted to ask your opinion about what's going to happen this season. Andrew? Well, it's, it's already happened though, hasn't it? We've got Spartak as the champions. No, I mean, I mean for that for, for that Champions, champions League place League with, the two, with the one spot there. Oh, Champions League race. Well, well, Cisco, I think, will claim that. I'm fairly, I'm fairly confident that they will at this stage. Um, but, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if either club at the moment, are really, <laughs> are really desperately well suited to Champions League football. I mean, one of them's got to take the spot for the for the qualifiers, but um, I think Cisco will probably claim that spot. Um, and it's, I don't, I don't personally mind. I, I don't have emotional investments in either side. So, um, whichever side prepares better, I think will deserve it. So, I, I think Cisco will claim it. And Toko, what about you? I mean, what have you made of Siska in the second part of the season after Gontarenko's come? And do you think they can get that Champions League spot? I'm fairly convinced that uh, Siska will get the Champions League spot. I'm just looking at the fixtures right now. Um, Siska have Antje and Arsenal, Tula at home, then they have Ruben Kassan away. And if we compare that to Senator who have Krasnodar at home, Lokomotiv away, and Kriegers and Gretzov away, and remember that Siska have a one-point lead, then I think it's fairly certain to say that that Siska are in by far the best conditions before these last three games and that their schedule is certainly easier. I think Siska will probably get, they should get three weeks to reason. That should seal it. So they are definitely favorites. About the way they've played, I think, I think Gunchurenko looks like a coach who's on the right path. I think things are looking better and better with that set of course. He still has some challenges, just like we spoke about with, uh, uh, about Slutsky in the fall, about the national team in the fall, they still have quite a lot of old players, and sooner or later they have to switch out the Berosutskis, Ignashevich, and maybe Takuk will even go abroad. They also have to find a long-term replacement for Yerabenko, considering he's still out for a year and a half. So th- this should be a very interesting summer for Siska. They have some they have some major tasks to fill. I'm still not entirely convinced by Victor Vassin. He's, he's played he's played some good matches, but 
you also saw, for example, the game against Spartak where he single-handedly gave away a goal after a ridiculous defensive um, decision. So I still think Siska have have some have some positions that really need to strengthen. Also, the strikers. I had really big expectations for for Lanada and and Vitinho before this spring, but neither of them have really lived up to the expectation, especially not Lanada. He's he's been he's been quite awful, unfortunately. So. I think at the end of the day, I think they're on the right path, but they still have quite some some way to go. I mean, on on Zenit, by the way, bit of a Zenit Zenit Stadium bingo time for the Russian Football News podcast. Um, just thought that the listeners might like to know that they moved their swanky new stadiums, Krestovsky, but they're actually moving back to Petrovsky for the final home game after various problems. One of them, the pitch, and there are also problems with hot water in the dressing room. So that looks good for the Confeds coming up soon, doesn't it? Um, I mean. Andrew, I wanted to talk about Krasnodar a bit because I was one of those who tipped them to sort of pa- perhaps break that Champions League ceiling, but they've really dropped off. And what? Why do you think that is? Well, you're right; they have, and they've they've disappointed me this season because I really I thought they were going to, like you say, challenge for the Champions League places because they they've been on an upward trajectory well pretty much since they were formed, really, and um, and you know they've done done well in Europe this uh, this season, you know, reasonably well anyway. But they've just, um, they failed to to perform away from home. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's that's the away form. They've only won three games away from home in the league. And they've they've drawn a lot of games too. They just, they, they haven't managed to kill games off. I mean, you could possibly put it down to Fyodor Smolov being injured for uh, a reasonable part of the season. Um, and I think that's part of it. But the squad they've put together, I think, is a very good squad. And I, I think it should be able to to cope with, I mean, incredible as Smoloff is, they should be able to cope with his absence to some degree, at least. Uh, bringing in Victor Klassen, for example, that was a good move. Um, so... I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it is. I think Igor Shalimov coming in, he's, he's not always shown a great deal of, of confidence uh, in his approach to games. He's tried to close off games rather than go for the win, which, um, <clears throat> which uh, Ali Kononov would have done before him. But uh, and I, I still think Kononov being five was a, a, quite an odd decision, really, because he's been, you know, he's done well for the club for a long time. So. I think confidence is one part. Um, missing Smoller for a few games this season hasn't helped. He's still top Letting scorer, though. Well, I mean, he is. Um, but I'd, I think I'd also add letting Ari go on loan to Locomotive was the most bizarre decision. And I said it at the time, too. He's a he's a good focal point for that attack and let, allowing Smoller to lurk behind or drift across the, the attacking three behind the front man, if you like. Um uh, and, and Ari's proven that by scoring goals for Locomotive, and I, I think that was an odd decision to let him go too. So, um, uh, some poor decisions, a lack of confidence from Igor Shalimov, who ho- could well grow into a more attacking, confident coach. But this season, I don't think he's he, he's not got a lot. Of, he's not got a lot of confidence in him. I don't think so. That needs to be built upon. Um, but they'll be in, um, again, I think they will be in Europe next season. They'll they'll close off that Europa League space, I think. And um, a couple of signings. They never tend to go for big transfer windows, do they, Krasnodar? So um, a few a few additions to the squad, and I think they should be fine for next season. Am I right in thinking that Ari is the fourth top scorer in the league with eight goals? Which, which goes to show the low-scoring nature of the division, doesn't it, really? 
Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Toka, what's your make, take on Krasnodar? We, of course, talk about Smolov and also, along with your take on why they've sort of gone down a bit this season after such a good start, what happens next season if Smolov goes? I know Andrew will be devastated. That's one thing. But what happens to the team? I think perhaps Smolov leaving the club might not be the worst thing in the world. Of course, it will for Andrew, but for the club and for the rest of us, I, I think maybe it could be a positive thing. I think part of the problem this season has, of course, they had injuries. Andrew mentioned Smolov. I also want to mention Mamayev, who was absolutely incredible last season. And he has been out for the majority of this season, only played, I think, 10 games or something like that. So missing him was also very, very tough. But I think Krasnodar has become too dependent on, on Smolov. I think they have been, it might be hard to say, but I think it's a, it's quite a one-dimensional team. Before they received Smolov, before they got this tough striker up front, they didn't have some. They didn't have different weapons. They they might not have this tough striker. They had Aryan Wonder, some decent players, but but none of them on Smolov's level. But they they did have some weapons, and these days they are so dependent on Smolov to either score on on the on the half chances or to create something by himself. And I think it it's somewhat hurting the the the, the game because they do have good players, but. You only have to, you really only have to mark Smolov, and then if you can keep Smolov out of the game, you've almost closed down Krasnodar. And I think that's also the reason why we've seen him score so few goals this season. I mean, if you look at the top score list, Smolov has scored 15 goals, and then the next top scorer at the club is, is Ari, who scored, scored four. Wanderson has scored three. They have almost practically no goals from the midfield. And I, I think they have, they really need to. They need to, to, to figure that out. They need to, to find another approach because right now it's, it's simply too one-dimensional and it is, it is hurting them. I mean, Andrew, I know you're hoping to present Smolov with his RFN uh, award on Saturday, so you can go into that a bit. But also, um, I mentioned earlier the cup final. We know that Lokomotiv will be in Europe next season. I mean, what, what was your take on the cup final? Of course, Lokomotiv versus Ural. Lokomotiv coming out on top. Well... Yeah, I mean, lo- Lokomotiv were in pretty much complete control of the game and they, they did fully deserve to win. Um, Moranchuk's goal, I mean, it was, wasn't necessary in the end, I guess, because just it was always likely to be a low-scoring game. Ural are not the uh, not the biggest goal scorers. They were less than a goal a game this season. And, um, but Moranchuk's one goal was fantastic. Uh, great finish and cut inside. But... Yeah, I mean, Locomotive, they're, obviously, they're going to be a reasonably, well, of the two sides, they would be much more likely to make an impact in Europe next season than, than Ural. Um, and, you know, the, they, they, if they can keep, if they can get Ari more permanently or, or extend his loan to next season, uh, I think that's a big part of it because I think he's been brilliant for them. Um, the cup final itself was... I mean, it's, we were talking about this before the pod. Staging it in a neutral venue can often mean putting the cup final in a very you know, far-flown place. And Sochi by the Black Sea is, is, as, far, um, is as far from Yekaterinburg almost as it is from Moscow to London, um, flight time. So it was a long way. Only about 1,000 Ural fans made it, if that. So it was a bit of an imbalanced atmosphere. Locomotive fans were deafening and they were other than their their behavior invading the pitch a number of times and burning flags they were very very loud and very impressive so um yeah all in all i 
it pains me to say it, but I, they did deserve it. Um, they were the better side. And I do hope for Russia's sake that they perform well in the Europa League next season. So for that reason, I guess for neutrals, it's a good thing that Lokomotiv won. You know, we, we want to see strong performances in Europe, don't we? So, um, but yeah, so the, the fish stadium in Sochi was absolutely magnificent. And for anybody going to, you know, the pitch was very good condition. I managed to get down to pitch level uh, after the game and it was really you know, an immaculate surface. So anybody going to Russia for Confederations Cup or World Cup definitely makes Sochi one of the stops. Um, beautiful city and the stadium itself in the Olympic Park is one of the most impressive I've been to. Um, what happened afterwards? Because uh, there was a brawl between the players. Oh, bloody Christ. That was... Uh, that was that was quite quite mad, really. I mean, the the atmosphere was getting the locomotive fans were threatening to invade the pitch the whole time, so the atmosphere was ratcheted up a bit. But it was in injury time. Um, Archon Fiddler was was marking. I think it was Jefferson Farfan on the edge of the box, and Farfan made some comment that Fiddler reacted to, and Ari um, was standing nearby, came flying in, tried to punch Fiddler. And then just all hell broke loose. And uh, Edgar Manucharian flew in with a, his studs up trying to kick Ari. Ari came back and actually did punch Fiddler on the back of the head. Um, and in the end, there were four red cards for Manucharian, Fiddler, Jefferson Farfan and Ari. But at the time, it was so hard to even tell what was going on, how many red cards there had been. Um, it just absolute utter chaos. Um you know, after the game in the press area, Ari and Farfan walking past, they were just jo joking, laughing. And Farfan even made a joke to the, the, the press nearby. He said, look, if you if you want to comment, I'm going to have to punch you. Um, <laughs> and I mean, he was sort of, I thought, well, OK, I get why you don't want to give a comment, but is that really appropriate? It's, 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 sort, of, it's sort of quite funny, but also a bit disturbing. <laughs> Well, it is, yeah, exactly, exactly. What it got a bit of a titter from from the press guys at the time, but you know, five minutes later, I thought he does realise that has. I mean, maybe that's maybe he doesn't mind, but he does realise that that has ended his career in Russia, and effectively, <laughs> he's not going to be desperately employable afterwards, is he? Really, if he loses his cool like that. But Ari, um, Ari was well, not threatened, but Manucharian said. I'll see you in your Katzenberg in two weeks and, um, you know, ramped up to that a bit. That's going to be an interesting one. I was going to um, say, I'll yeah. <laughs> yeah, that will be uh, fun to watch how that one unfolds. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's an unsavoury end to uh, an impressive performance by Lokomotiv. Um, and, uh, yeah, good luck to them in Europe next season. Yeah, I mean, Yuri Semin, the manager, is now 70. So, <laughs> just bearing that in mind as well. Um, let's move back well, back downwards, I should say, to the uh, the bottom of the table. Of course, Tom Thompson's already relegated. I don't think we need to comment too much on that because we all know the problems that have happened there and it's a complete mess. But currently the ones, well, Arsenal Tula are second bottom on 24, then Krilia above them in 14th on 25, Arimburg on 26. So those 13-14, they would go into the relegation playoff spots and then probably reasonably Ural in a bit of trouble. I think Angie look safe on 30, wouldn't you say, Toke? I don't want to demand to save late, late uh, yet. I don't think they have been. They have played some decent matches this this spring, but of course we have already talked a lot about Angie's problem this, this winter. They sold out the entire squad. I think it's still pretty obvious that the players 
are still new teammates, all of them. They don't have these mechanics you see in the team that have played together for a long time. And we have to remember that both uh, Kirill Savietov and Arnburg, they're, they're doing pretty well, both of them, actually. They both won last week, and they are moving up the table. They're, they're putting points on the on their accounts. So I, I think this will come down to the last game. And I, I don't want to, to say that I'm just safe, to say say safe yet. Oh, my God. Um, it's all right. And, and, and even Ural, we have to remember, at, at the beginning of the spring, <coughs> we spoke a lot about how good they were doing, how how they were moving forward, how they, they, they defeated some difficult um, teams and went to the cup final. But ever since they went to the cup final, things have just turned bad for them. I think they focused too much on the big game in Sochi and completely forgot that they are that they're still in a dangerous position in the league. They've lost the last three games and now they're actually they're really in danger right now. They have to they have to pick themselves up dig themselves up uh, up a deep deep hole and they have lost all the momentum they gathered earlier in the season. So I, I think Ural could be in for a very difficult uh, last few games. Actually they've lost the last four games I see now. So yeah, they, they really have some work to do to, to stay up. It's it's difficult when you you have lost so much confidence and yeah. They they have to have to find a way to, to stop bleeding right now, otherwise it, it could end very poorly. I mean, Andrew, I'm gonna embarrass you a bit here and correct me if I'm wrong, and I understand there was no bias in this, but at the start of the season I think you tipped Ural to do quite well. So um, they've now now twelfth well, in the table, as I said. What what do you think's the problem? The, yeah, I think Toku is right that there was a bit too much focus put on the cup final. But I mean, I mean, what I would say is that the you know four games ago, before this losing run began, they had a gap of of ten points to the relegation zone. So they could quite justifiably have said, well, we we will put a bit of focus on it. Um, and like it, like Toku mentions, the the three teams above Tom Toms, so. The two relegation playoff sides, Orenberg Krilo at the moment, and Arsenal Tula, um, currently in the automatic relegation places, they've all picked up a lot of points in the last few games. Um, I mean, you know, since since Oral last won a game, they've all uh, they've all won um, at least once. Orenberg won twice. They've been Krilo have drawn a couple of times as well, and Oral without question are in in danger. Of, of being sucked into the relegation playoffs again. Well, I mean, they're only they could mathematically even be in the the automatic places if if they if they keep losing games. So what's gone wrong? Um, a lot of focus certainly. Um, Eric Bickfalvy started his Oral career on goal scoring form, and I think perhaps a lot was expected of him to supply more goals, and he's been. You know, he's been playing well tidily, but without really putting his stamp on games like he did earlier in the spring part of the season. So, um, letting in goals has been a problem for Oral for the last two seasons. They've um, they've conceded more than anybody other than Tom Tomsk. And last season, it was entertaining. I think there were more goals involved in Oral games than almost any other side in the whole league last season. Um, but they've not managed to score as many. So um, and a goal scorer is needed. Vladimir Elian has come in and done very, very well. I mean, I've been impressed with him. Um, but is he is he enough to, is he experienced enough to lead the line over a whole campaign? Um, I'm yet to, I'm yet to see whether that's 
that's the case or not. Um, I think Pavlichenko, I don't think there's, I don't think he's needed in the squad. It's too much of a burden. He's a, he's was a great player, but he's not shown anything this season. And, and I think perhaps he ought to be moved out and somebody else brought in as a partner or another option for Vladimir Ilyin. So, yeah, um, Krasadar at home this Saturday. Obviously not an easy game. Krasadar are not great away from home, but still they're a good side. So, but I'll lose that game and it really is starting to look very nervous for them. But I still think they will, I think they will survive. I don't think they will go into the relegation playoff zone. I mean, Toko, just want to look at Arsenal Tula. Like I said, they are in that bottom two at the moment, but they are only one point off survival. So what do you make of their chances? And also, uh, this will come to you as well, Andrew. What do you, what points tally do you think will be enough to survive? I'm talking about outside the bottom two, not just the um, the four. Well, you can do the four as well if you like, but you see what I mean. Yeah, that's a good question, Tom. I think, as I said earlier, all, all the teams on the bottom are actually in, in quite good shape right now. So. I think maybe they need to win at least two more games because it looks like they'll all all put on some some decent amount of points. It's not like the previous season where we had teams who are absolutely terrible. I mean, of course we have Tom, but apart from that, both the Arsenal, Krylia, and and Arnhemburg, they're all, they're all very competitive. They they can all put points on the table. So yeah, maybe up around thirty. I think that that wouldn't be surprised me. Um. Of course, Arsenal are, Arsenal are still in this. Uh, there's no doubt about that. They're only one point behind Krilja, two points behind Arenberg. But with that said, I, I do see them as the weakest of these of these three clubs. Um, so they are they are my favourites to take the the direct trip back to the FNL. Um, Andrew, would you go with Tokron Arsenal? There, they're probably the weaker. And also, what would you say the points tally is? And also, a third thing, as our resident Fenerl man. Who are the sort of teams that the 13th and 14th, po- probably Arimburg and Krilia, possibly Ural, as we mentioned, who are the sort of teams from the Fener L that they could face in the relegation playoffs? Well, yeah, I mean, to take your first part of the question first, I think um, Arsenal are very, very good at home. Their, their home record is excellent. I think the points tally to stay up is likely to be... Um, I think Arsenal will need more than 27. I think they'll need to do more than just win one of the last three to to have a chance of staying up because Orenberg and Krilia are also in, in reasonably good form. They've all got at least one winnable home game left. So I expect if Ural can get one win, then they will be safe from the relegation playoffs. I think that should be enough. Um, Arsenal, I think they will need to get, I think, 28 points. If they get 28 points, they should be... In the, they should be enough to get into relegation playoffs to go up a place. So it's it's very hard to call though. It's very hard to call because all three of them have to play. Uh, I think all of them have to play one of the top four in one of their remaining games. So it's it's hard to hard to say really. In terms of the FNAL, well, uh, Habarovsk look like taking third place, and they. <clears throat> Of course, they are from a very, very long way east. And I think a lot of Premier League clubs will be hoping they don't get up. But when it comes to the, the relegation or promotion playoffs, the, the Feniel teams usually are, are pretty strong at home. And Haberovsk being so far east as well, that will play into their hands. Um, I actually think they have a very good chance of, of winning a playoff against 
um, against the likes of Orenburg. Orenburg, of course, don't forget, just promoted, and they're a very, they've been a very strong lower league club for a long time. Um, I've, I've watched them a few times in Tumen, and they've been, they've completely outclassed us, and they deserve to be at least Fenel, if not Premier League. Well, they battered but, the league last year, didn't they? I remember they were just scoring goals left, right, and centre. Well, they they were very strong, um, and they they the last two times they played Tumen, they they won four nil and four one, and Tumen have been a relatively solid Fenel side for the last couple of seasons, mid table, um, but but pretty strong at home. So to lose that heavily, and I couldn't I couldn't say that they didn't deserve it. So Orenburg, I'm not I, I'm nothing against Orenburg. I would like to see them uh, stay in the Premier League actually, but. Habedosk, I'd say, are the danger side um, to look out for. I mean, the Fennel promotion race is getting extremely tight at the moment. The two games to go and fourth place, so the second promotion playoff place, Yenisei are on 57 points, um, Tambov on 55, Shinnik on 54, Chumen on 53. Chumen go to Krasnoyarsk to play Yenisei at the weekend, and if they were to win that game... Suddenly, you're going to have, if the other two teams win, you're going to have uh, 58, 57, 56, and, well, two teams on 57. It's, it's an absolute mess. It's so hard to call. I think, realistically, Yenisei will beat you men, and they will be in the prime position. So you've got two sides, Far East and Siberia, um, to, to be in the playoffs. I think both of them have a, a reasonable chance. Um, of, of, of winning their playoffs. So uh, I would love to say Chumen are dark horses for the promotion race. Um, we do have, of course, the top scorer in the league, Hassan Mamtov. Um, no, sorry, I take that back. He's not top scorer. Kirill Panchenko scored twice yesterday. I didn't see that. Um, he, Mamtov is the best player in the Fanny Yeah, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, obviously. Um, <laughs> best in Russia, best in Europe. Well, you know, pretty much. I mean, he's turned down offers from Real Madrid and, and Barcelona <laughs> for the transfer. So, um, <laughs> possibly not. Um, so, Fenel wise, it looks like Habarovsk, uh, SK Habarovsk, and Yenisei Krasnoyarsk will be the two sides. And I think they will equip themselves very well. So, Premier League sides, you know, watch out for this. So, who would you, I mean, this is putting you on the spot a bit, really. I'm sorry. Who, who would you sort of tip out of all. all... With all four teams, I know it depends on the draws and everything, but just what your take on it, really? For the actual playoffs themselves? Yeah, so who, who will be in the Premier League next season, would you say, out of the four? Well, I I think Habodovsk, I think they will, if, if, they, if they get um, third place, which they're in, on course to do, that would, well, at the moment, would mean they would face Krillian. Um, I think... I think Krillia are, are a solid side at home, but I think Habedos will probably win that one on over two legs because of the distance. Um, if that meant, if that left Orenburg to play Yenisei, I think Orenburg probably would probably would be able to win that one. So I would suggest Orenburg would Orenburg and Habedos would be the two um, two sides to be in the Premier League next season through the playoffs. That's my tip. Okay, perfect. Well. We've pretty much covered the entire league. We've missed out mid-table, so I'm sorry for any mid-table team fans, but nothing much really going on there, let's be honest. So it just needs me to say thank you to the guests as usual. Uh, Toker, I've left you abandoned for a few minutes there, so thank you for coming on. It's okay, Thomas. It's always a pleasure. Good stuff. And uh, Andrew, thanks again.
Yeah, great discussion. Thanks, Thomas. Good stuff. Um, anyway, for the listeners, uh, do check out, keep checking out the website, RussianFootballNews.com. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, of course. Uh, Russian Football News Facebook page. Andrew, I'm sure you're doing some live stuff on there quite soon. Uh, and yeah. Then, yeah, go on. So, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll be doing stuff from, from uh, Yekaterinburg on Saturday for Krasnodar game and, and also next Wednesday for Locomotive. But also just quick shout out to the, um, by the time this has gone out, you'll see it on the Facebook page, but the Predictions League is still, uh, is hotting up the, the the championship race there is getting pretty close. So don't forget to get your predictions in, guys. Let's give out a shout out to the leader at the moment. Who is that? Uh, Brian Rappelier is still, still the leader, but... Um, the five people behind him are all within about six points of each other. Um, yours truly has just taken over second spot again, so I'm, I'm happy yeah. about that. But it's like, it's like it's the NAL about... promotion race. Well, it is. It, it absolutely is. It mirrors real life. And um, yeah, so there's uh, there's some a, a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. And over the summer as well, um, there will be we'll be doing a Confederations Cup game as well. And keep your eyes peeled because next season there'll be some new developments for the Predictions League. Very exciting times. Good stuff. And the one thing I didn't mention just then was the uh, the Twitter page, which is at Russ Football News. So again, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next podcast.